Welcome to the Freedom Now podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Fair, and I truly believe you can have freedom now, no matter what chaos is in your life. I've journeyed through chronic illness, through the death of my brother, through starting up my own business, as well as being a wife and a mother of four. And so I know a lot about chaos and crazy, (laughs) but I also have learned a lot about freedom and I'm excited to share it with you because I truly believe this place can be a weekly oasis of hope, encouragement, and laughter for you where you're going to glean powerful and practical tips and tools as you listen to my story and the story of others. Thanks so much for joining and enjoy this episode. Hi, everybody. Andrea Fair here with Flying Free Ministries. I'm so excited to have April Tribe Juke here with us today. Thanks so much, April, for joining us. You're welcome. April and I met at my publisher's conference in Ohio, and I remember her energy and her her passion. And so today I'm so happy to have April here because the topic she talks about is domestic violence, and she is a victor, and she is passionate about helping others pursue their victory. And I'm all into that because I'm all about freedom, and hello, we need to be walking in the freedom that is ours. And so April, could you share with us a bit about your your book. You are an author, a coach, a speaker, and I just would love, just value what you have been providing for others. I keep on looking at your content and being like, oh man, this is good. She actually, you guys, she has set up um, an actual, I don't know if it's a course, you can help me out, uh, that is for people who want to support others who are in um, domestic violence situations and help. And so, yeah, talk to us. All right. Well, I'll share a few things. So the the, the first thing I want to share is about my book, Pinpoints mm-hmm. of Light, Escaping the Abyss of Abuse. And this is my memoir. This is about how we left, we meaning me and my five children. Um, my first husband has bipolar schizophrenia and also an addiction problem. And he um, kind of fell into a lot of these types of situations through his own mind. And the results were very physical and emotional and spiritual upon me and the children. And so after a while, I finally kind of get it in my head. It's time to start making an exit. In a situation, you don't know all of the lingo, like exit plans, and they need an advocate. You don't think things like that. At least I didn't. And yet at the same time, subconsciously, those are exactly the things I was doing. And I always just stayed close to my Heavenly Father and prayed and prayed to know directions and what to do. Because the struggle that I had was the fact that Mike's husband is a child of God. I am a child of God. My children are children of God. We're all on the same human team here, but it's not okay how the actions are happening. So it was a a big awakening for myself to realize that it was not my job. It was not my place to try to help, to try to do anything like that. That's Savior's job. Now let me just share that with, with like the impact that it really was for me. I didn't understand that I was actually kind of pushing the Savior aside, trying to think, well, we'll keep enduring. Well, you know, I'll, I'll try to help. Because I was thinking about the covenants that I had made about being together and helping each other and being as that team. But when the other teammate breaks covenants, no longer wants to, to play, for the, play for the same team, we'll just go with the team analogy here, it becomes a different type of challenge. And then 
when the little ones are getting hurt, even a bigger challenge. And so uh, after asking, looking for his timing to, to desire to, to go forward with those things, and I thought, okay, I have exhausted all types of things, and it's time to look ahead and make a move because all I'm teaching the children is to tolerate more violence, tolerate more poor behavior, tolerate and accept they're less and less worthy and less and less and their value is going down and down and down. And that's what I'm teaching them. And I'm like, that's no, no, no. That's not what the savior teaches us. That's not what heavenly father teaches us. And I need to stop and we need to leave. Now, I looked around, metaphorically, in this dark place that I was in that I, that I call the abyss of abuse. And I looked around and looked around trying to figure out where do I even go. If anyone's ever been in a cave before and they turn the lights off and you, the, the fact that you really cannot see the hand in front of your face and your eyes are searching for any glint of a light, anything within our little situation, I did find a tiny, tiny, tiny pinpoint. It was so faint but I started to go towards it. And then that pillar. And the, the point I'm trying to make is that this became my exit strategy. This became the, the about the course that I have that goes along with that line upon line, precept upon precept, and follow these pinpoints until I was able to be strong enough position myself and be able to get out because I was trapped in three situations. I was trapped um, physically. I was trapped spiritually and emotionally. And then I was also trapped financially. And the financial piece was the, was kind of that silent part where at the time I didn't hear very many people talk about that. And that's for the majority of the reason why most women return is because of the finances and because of their safety. It's not just, Oh, just get out and go. And at the same time, we, as the people who are in these situations, the victims, the survivors, we know the right timing. We know we need to leave. We know we need to escape. And so finding advocates and supporters that help you create your plan and as long as we have the control over that and doing it, we are doing it on our timing, the success is unbelievable. So with that, again, I wouldn't have labeled it anything like that while I was in it at the time. Now I know all of these things. We were able to make our escape. We had about eight minutes and... There's, but within the book, the story goes on of, of what happened afterwards. Now, to get into the fact about supporters, supporters are, are people that understand what we call empathy. And empathy means I understand and you understand at the same time. And you can just sit together. You can listen. You can understand. You don't have to fix anything. And that's what I needed was an ultimate supporter. And I found that in a few people in my family. I found that in some strangers. And I found that in a few coworkers. And that's how I built my network. And within that network, I was able to finally escape. And when we left, because all of those things had been put in place, took about 18 months to build it, um, we never looked back. And that was the success. And that was that all of 
of those pinpoints led me out. And so my concept with the whole lighthouse and everything, it becomes a beacon of light. Um, many of us who are out metaphorically in the oceans and tossed and turns and the trials of life, when you finally see that pinpoint, it is from a lighthouse, which is miles and miles and miles away. And as you inch closer, you see that beam actually grow and strengthen in intensity because as you get closer to the source of light, you feel more, you see more, and you can be more. So that's the piece uh, and that I teach within that course because so many friends, families, coworkers, unfortunately have people that are stuck within abuse. And it can be emotional abuse, physical abuse, financial abuse. It can be a combination of any of that. And they feel helpless. They want to help. They don't know where to start. They know you should get out. But they also know telling you that is, it, it doesn't do anything. In fact, as a matter of fact, that most women, when they start to hear those things, you need to leave, you need to get out, they, I'll say, usually end up doing the opposite because of their safety. They, they are the only ones that know when the, right, when the timing is right when they need to actually leave. And so being a true supporter is somebody that does not get offended when you know, maybe plans have been made and they come right up to that last moment and they pull back. A true supporter says, you know, I'm, that's good. I'm okay. Cause it's not about the supporter. It's about who you're supporting. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very helpful and, and a clear distinction because some people put conditional pieces on this. Gosh, that was the third time she promised she was going to leave. And then she went back. If she does it again, or if he does it again, that's it. Three strikes, you're out. My boundaries, I'm done. It's, it's not that way. It's not that way at all. It's the point of maybe looking at the perspective of, I bet something happened and they were threatened to the point of their lives. So I'm going to still be here like a first responder. And when that 911 phone call comes in, so to speak, I'll be ready. And that's the heart and key part of being a true supporter. So those are the answers to those two questions. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, what was the name of that course again? I, I missed that. It's called the Supporters Toolkit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's huge, right? To to acknowledge that the supporter is not is not in the situation and therefore does not have control over any of it. Their job is to listen and to be mm -hmm. available and. Yeah, and that's really important to to know firmly in your mind that the person in the situation gets gets to decide when that it is the right time and they need that that permission. Right. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's incredible. I love I love the analogy of like how you said that once you get closer to the light, then you can see more of the light and it gets yeah, that is so legit. Yeah, that is yeah. that makes so much sense. Wow. So obviously you have you, you probably didn't start out thinking like, okay, yeah, I just want to be a part of this, like, d domestic violent awareness, like, that's what I want to do with my life. Like, obviously, your life took on a life of its own, and, and you are using your pain to help others. So we just want to thank you for that and validate that. And how long have you been a part of um, creating hope and help for those in domestic violent situations? Thank you for asking that question. So I have been out of abuse. It'll be 14 years on November the 28th. It'll mm -hmm. be exactly 14 years. And that's the date that I know for sure. Um, I've been helping others for about two years. 
So for 12 years, I disappeared because I had to. The danger and the threat was still there. And so this was this interesting part that I went through where I was a single mom for a while. Um, I have three of my five children that I had with my first husband. Three of them have autism. Being homeless and having autism, don't really recommend it. They like stability and routine. <laughs> Found that out real quick. <laughs> oh, wow. And I can say that with a laughter because I lived it. <laughs> and the, the point is, is that when all of these things were happening, I knew that eventually um, things would get stable, and they did. I was able to um, move back in with my parents, and we actually built a home together, and my dad became kind of this father figure for my children to help in that way because um, – Who's, who's going to date somebody like me, five kids, three with autism, just left abuse. Yeah, I think I'm good. Let's go with the stability for a while. And that lasted for a really good time until finally I was prompted to say it's time to, it's time to move forward. And um, basically, I have someone out there for you. So, so we're going to put this together. I was like, really? Okay, is he going to just drop on my front porch? Because <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work. But, but it did. And eventually, I did get remarried. And in that marriage... Um, he was a bachelor, never had any children, never been married before. And so he accepted my first five and, and it was amazing. And it is amazing how I call him my Joseph. And I'll just kind of jump into something here that makes my voice a little quiver, but just like the savior was born into a home with a, an amazing, I'll just say stepfather, right? An earthly father here, Joseph filled the shoes handpicked by Heavenly Father himself to say, you'll help raise my, my son. Mm. I think of that, that moment of being a Joseph is so powerful. Yeah. And for any step-parent out there, perspectives shift. And it did, for sure, for my husband, and that concept of him stepping in and, and doing something very challenging and difficult, but did it. And then together... We had four more children, so I'm the mother of nine children, and uh, two of, of our children together, um, number six and number eight, were born deaf. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, let's, guess we'll start learning how to sign. <laughs> so they were born deaf, and my, my eighth child also has autism. So I'm like, all right, we wrap that up with a bow. I've got this down now. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I got the patience thing going, and, and uh Things have really carried forth. So within those 12 years, we decided to raise family, stay hidden, stay focused. And the whole time there was this tiny little push, you will write the story one day and I'll show you when. And when the timing happened, that was about two years ago. Um, and writing the book was that first step and not knowing what the next steps were because as he shows us line upon line, just like those pinpoints, he doesn't show us the entire plan all at once because I think we'd freak out and be like, ah, where's the rock? I'm hiding underneath that. <laughs> yeah. so, so just little bit by little bit, and that's where this all came about. Now, this, this concept of helping others in a way that I wasn't expecting all came from a trip that we took during the pandemic. I mean, if you could think about all of that happening in the month of June, I knew I needed to go visit my parents. I knew I needed to... to be together with family and they're so far away from us they're 1500 miles away and we had made this plan despite all of the the health challenges and everything else that were going on around us we knew we would be cautious and careful and at the same time we wanted to take a different route back home 
which took us through nine different states. And moments before we're ready to go, I get the nudge, put a box of books in your van. You're going to deliver those to shelters. And half of my brain is thinking, I haven't called anybody. No one knows I'm coming. How is this going to happen? Right? The, the earthly panic kind of fear factor starts falling in there. And of course, the destroyer is like, ooh, let's get around this. And panic, panic, panic. And the other side was very simple. And it just said, do you trust me? And I chose to stay in the light and not turn towards the darkness. And I said, yes. And sure enough, as we went through Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, stop whatever, it was just check your phone, find a shelter. I would, they would be within a mile to two miles of where we were. I would give them two books. Some I had to leave on the doorsteps. Sometimes I got to, to visit. The, um, the manager, I didn't meet any sharing. I want to give people hope. And I was able to get out and my life completely changed. And I want them to know that their lives can completely move forward. And it, it worked and it was amazing. And on the returning trip home through New Mexico, which is a long stretch between a cactus and a cactus really long <laughs> um, I thought how can we carry this forward how can we keep going and my focus was I how can I how can I how can I and again sweet Lord just quietly said it's not about you ask others to help you I don't ask others for help very well apparently <laughs> so I was like oh and Pinpoints Across America was born out of that. And sure enough, people are asking, requesting for the book, delivering it to shelters. And it's not a simple thing. It's not simple to, to get a book, to make an appointment, to go over there. We're still in a pandemic, but they're doing it. And they, over 200 books have now been delivered, 19 shelters. We're now in 19 states. It just keeps going and going. And we're having book bulk buys that are happening. When you follow what the Lord has asked you to do, he provides the way. And if we step out of the way, it works. So wow. That is incredible. incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so exciting. I love how he is able to redeem what was unredeemable. Like how, like, I just can't even. Like, it's just absolutely insane. Oh, that just blesses me from head to toe. And I know everyone listening to, and yeah, we have a shelter in our city. So right away I'm like, Oh man, I got to get some books. We got to get them in there because I know in my own story, the, the, the power of a true story, right? The power of someone who has been in that abyss and able to stand on the other side, transformed and say, Hey, this is, yeah, it was hard. It was brutal. It was long. And yet there is, there is, it is a, you are, it's a possibility and it is doable. And there are people who are equipped and ready to help. So that is huge. April, how do we connect with you? How do we get more information on, on pinpoints of America well, um, I have I have a form that you can fill out, and, and I can leave all that information with you, Andrea. Um, and basically, it's a link that you fill out saying that you'd be willing to to take a book. And at the bottom, there is as a page that goes towards 
Um, you only pay shipping because the books that I have are, are free. So you just pay a cost of shipping for two books. And within those two books, you can deliver those to the shelter. And then the shelter can decide if they want to give away both of those books, hold them as a lending library, give one, keep one, whatever it is that they want to do. And our goal is 11,000 shelters. That's how many there are in uh, the North American um, area. So it's amazing that we need 11,000 shelters. And we're hoping to have that reduced down, right? So we don't need all of that. And that's, that's where my second book of Out of Darkness comes in because the healing process from leaving abuse, that was such an inter- interesting journey. Remarried, now having more children and finding myself wanting to go back to what I call a comfort cage because it was, even though it wasn't healthy, it's what I knew. And the Lord's like, no, 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 you got to get in the learning zone. This is where it's happening. And I'm like, but it's, my comfort cage is so pretty. And he's like, yeah, you made that bar out of fear. Those are lies you tell yourself, you know. And I was like, oh, fine. And he would open the door for me as my, you know, my opportunity to step out into that learning zone. And so when I would do that, I started to come more and more out of my own darkness. And this became the healing journey. So it was like my pinpoints led me to this place and I realized suddenly the, the journey I had been on my entire life and uh, I had a friend who had come with me the entire life and I use the word friend loosely. Mm. It's a shame shadow. Mm. The shadow always was behind me or beside me, right? Because as you stand in front of the light, a shadow will always be cast behind you. In opposition, there's opposition in all things. Where there is light, there will be darkness. And the oppositions are there. So as I stand and face light, I have directionality. I know what to do. The habit and the unhealthiness makes me want to turn towards my back into that darkness and just be like, listen to the negativity, all the shame, the pain, the guilt, all of those kinds of things, which a lot of people understand. And uh, old shamey, he's back there and never stops. He just constantly good enough you're too much right the things that we hear it doesn't stop from him but i can definitely tune it down as i faced more towards that light and that was the inspiration of coming out of the darkness and and finding healing and i take you through this journey of little vignettes my life as well as what I discovered and, and how to lead of light. The light of Christ resides in all of us. And it's, I'm kind of geeky and I, I love, I love the amazing me and, and the galaxies upon galaxies and stars upon all of the things that the creator has made and beyond just blows my mind and now that they can analyze stars and what's that we are and stars are filled with light and so are we i mean there's so he knows what he's doing and when we listen to that still small voice and when we stay in the light we truly can find the healing hurts hurts it hurts it hurts it's not a fun journey but it's worth it, and, and it's amazing, and it continues. It, I, I've learned that I always kind of thought there would be an ending point, and that's when I think 
Heavenly Father smiles and kind of pats me on the head like, you're so cute. Keep going. <laughs> we have more to show you. <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so when we can find ourselves within him and know what our purpose is, when we can find the fuel from the good word of God, from reading, from praying, from being fellow saints together, and then living in that light and shining it out and amplifying it for others, that's the big difference. When we were in the service of our fellow beings, we were only in the service of our God. And so when you have your light and you shine it outward, it is serving others in such a way that amplifies them. And as you serve, you become like a mirror to their light. And I talk about this analogy all the time with the lighthouse that um, Augustine Frischnell, he was kind of labeled as the inventor of the lighthouse, that, that concept of he understood how light works. It works as a wave. It is pure energy. And that because it's a wave, it can be stretched. It can be amplified. It actually can increase where other things decrease light because it's a wave can actually increase. And so as he would play around with mirrors, lenses, and intensify the light, the light of a single candle, one candle power and strength with the right amplification can reach 20 miles across an ocean. 20 miles from one candle? And so I think about all of us as being one candle power and strength. But together, we are that mirror, that lens that amplifies each other's light. So it's different than adding all the light into one pile. It's not like that because it actually stretches forward as a beam. And that's how we become those beacons of light. And that's why, depending on how far away you are from that light, it might just be a pinpoint for you. And depending on how, how much you're amplifying it for others, it could truly be that solid beam. So amazing. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. I love, I love that. And I love that you wrote the second book because really that's people need to get out from their situation, but they need the honesty and the reality of there is this next step that is for, you know, the ongoing step that isn't fun, but it's worth it. Right. And I think, I know I've said that many times myself in pretty much all my talks. It's like, you know what? Freedom is ours, but there is work to be done and it is worth it to do the work. And like you said, our heavenly father, he is so gentle and so patient and so willing to ever, he, he gives us that next step. He doesn't tell us the whole thing. He just right now, where are you choosing truth? Are you choosing the shadow guy? And so there's that reality <laughs> yeah. of our effort, but that he is gracious and knows what we've been through and is just willing to walk with us. And wow. I love I just, oh, I appreciate you, April. I appreciate what you have, what you are doing and how you are sharing this truth with so many and it's so generously and inspiring us to do the same, to amplify outwards and to just continue to together shine that light across the land. I think that is just a really important reminder for us all. And I just want to thank you for your time. And if you have any, just as we wrap up, for that, for that person who's listening and is in that situation, listening in a safe spot and gleaning some insight, could you just help? Do you have an idea of what their next step might be? Or advice? Sure. So, yeah, advice and, and things is um, really take inventory of where you're at and be honest with yourself. In that honesty, it's a tough place sometimes, but be true 
true and honest with yourself and know that you cannot do this by yourself. You cannot. You need to build a network. And it's a scary type of situation because some people have been, the, the whole key of why abuse works so brilliantly is because of isolation. It's like anything else. Satan wants to get us isolated. He tempted Eve in isolation. Adam wasn't around. Like, right, the whole thing, he, it's, for forever, that's what he does. And so the isolation that happens within abuse, we have to figure out ways to network. If, if you are w- able to work, um, sometimes through coworkers is a great way to start. Sometimes through family. It just depends on, on your situation and scenario. But please take inventory of where you are and figure out how to build a network. Contact your local agencies, shelters, women's support. You can contact the hotline. The domestic violence hotline is there for everyone and they have ways to help you create and build some of these networks for yourself. And some networks are very complex. Some networks are very simple, build them, strengthen them, and then start to make your own plan of how to get out. Because the biggest lie is that you are not worth saving. That's Mm -hmm. the lie. The absolute truth is you are worth saving. And for some, the situation, it becomes that life or death. And I understand that. For the longest time, life or death was not the threat until one night it became the absolute threat. And when you leave your world behind with eight minutes in a van into the falling snow, you're committed and off you go. And the, when you trust in others, when you trust in the Lord, when you trust in something beyond yourself, it can actually, actually work. So please connect with people and find a way. There's so many incredible apps that you can contact that look like, you know, just a regular Facebook app so that your abuser can never tell that you're actually making contacts. There's no trace, no history. There's incredible things that are out there and available And uh, the hotlines are wonderful places to find all of those. And if there's anything I can leave with Andrea after this, I will. um, Because they're kind of long in in their explanations. It's not just like WWW hotline and you're out. They're a little more complex than that. So I'll leave things with Andrea as well. That would be awesome. Thank you so much, April. We just appreciate you and what you're doing and value your time and your ex- and your knowledge. And so thank you again for spending this time with us. And please do, friends, please do, as April has said, reach out to those ones who begin building your network. And we are definitely praying for you and available mm-hmm. to you to support you in any way we possibly can. So thanks again. Thank April. you, Andrea. You have been a beautiful host. Thank you. And I pray for all of your ministry work that the freedom can really fall upon everyone who's listening. Thank you so much. I trust this episode has encouraged and inspired you. And I hope it stirred a desire in you to connect with your everyday savior and his everyday freedom even more. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to connect with me on any of my social media platforms. You can find the details for those in the description of this episode. Feel free also to leave a review and I will connect with you next week on the Freedom Now podcast, a place for you to find hope, laughter, and encouragement as you grow in freedom in every area of life.